Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union with two locations in Mankato since 1934. It pays to bank where your part owner member NCUA more at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org. Good morning. For our Every Day is Earth Day segment this morning, I have Logan O'Grady, the Executive Director of MNCIA, and MNCIA is the Minnesota Solar Energy Industries Association, a 501c6 nonprofit that promotes and protects Minnesota's solar industry. Good morning, Logan. Good morning, Karen. Good to be with you. Now, I'm really curious about, it's you pronounce it MNCIA, the abbreviation. What exactly do you do? <laughs> Good question. Well, SIA um, is the National Solar Energy Industries Association, and MINSIA is an uh, official affiliate of that national organization. And really, our job is to be the voice of the solar industry, I say, in the room. And whether that room is a legislator's office at the state capitol here in Minnesota advocating for public policies that promote our industry, or a hearing room at the Public Utilities Commission in St. Paul, working to make a friendly regulatory framework for our energy system. Um, We really just try to be there in every room that is necessary to make sure we're advancing the interests of our over 140 different members. Now, something I read was Minnesotans are often surprised to learn that our state has annual solar resources similar to areas of Florida and Texas. So it sounds like that means we're doing pretty good? Yeah, you know, we're definitely a smaller market than some of these bigger states, just given, you know, our population. But we are definitely a national leader in many ways. Uh, For example, our community solar garden program here in Minnesota, we just reached over 800 megawatts. That is the biggest solar garden program in the country. No other country has installed even close to 800 megawatts. So we are definitely leading the way. Uh, We have certain uh, incentive programs through our public utilities here that assist in uh, residential uh, installations for people on their roofs or on their properties. So we really do have a pretty friendly private market, but also a really good political landscape that we operate in and a regulatory framework that's predictable for people and easy to use. Now, when you say 800 megawatts, I don't have anything to relate that to. So what does that mean in layman's terms to help you understand? Sure. I'm trying to think of a way to make that uh, kind of understandable to people. I would say that, you know, there's a kilowatt, a megawatt, and a gigawatt is kind of how we look at this. And um, your average house, for example, is going to be somewhere in that kilowatt range, definitely below like 40 kilowatts, for example. So that would be kind of a residential property would use that. And then when you talk about some larger projects in Minnesota, our community solar garden program right now is limited to one megawatt. And so that's going to be roughly eight to 10 acres of land that that utilizes and can power, you know, a few dozen homes. And then you get up into more utility sized solar projects, which would be closer to like that 10 megawatt level. And that's going to be, you know, closer to 100 acres of land that that takes up. So I guess that's kind of a way to break it down, if, if that helps. So when you say 800, then, what does that equate to in terms of solar arrays or however you measure that? Sure. So as I said, uh, in Minnesota, we're limited to one megawatt community solar garden projects right now, and that was uh, 
a settlement agreement at the Public Utilities Commission that we would keep those projects to one megawatt size. So that would be roughly 800 one megawatt solar gardens. So 800, eight to 10 acre parcels of land throughout the state used for solar gardens. And solar gardens are a different method of kind of aggregating the benefits of solar where multiple homes can sign up to a solar garden rather than putting solar on your rooftop, for example. Okay, well, I've got a question about community solar gardens. It seems like regularly I get in the mail something from someone that says, hey, join our community solar garden. And because I don't feel like I know enough information, I don't know if it's a good one to join, if there's bad ones, if it, if it's legitimate, what it means. So if you could help clarify that, because my sister-in-law also got one of those, and she says, well, what does this mean? And I says, you know, I really don't know that I understand it. So can you help us, Logan, mm-hmm. to understand what that is? And if we get one, should we just join anyone? Is is there a particular one that's better than another, or what should we look for? Sure. Well, first and foremost, I always recommend that people looking to go solar shop around. And that means looking at what makes sense for you as a family or an individual and, you know, what is your budget and, and what's the best way for you individually to go solar. And I think that's what's great about Minnesota is we have a lot of different options, including community solar. Our community solar program is a little bit unique in that it's subscriber-based. So when people want to develop a solar garden, a private developer has to go out and find the subscriber set. So that would be why you're getting marketing in the mail, or you might have gotten someone who knocked on your door or Mm -hmm. gave you a call. um, Is These developers need to fully subscribe gardens before they can build them. And so they're out there marketing the private competitive marketplace. And so you have people competing against each other to find subscribers within the Exxon Energy territory only, I should say, which Excel is the only one that has the community solar garden program right now. So, again, that's why you'd be getting in the mail you know, leaflets and other pamphlets explaining it. So if you're interested in doing that, I would give them a call and see what they have to say. Um, definitely shop around, uh, see what the best deal you can get, see what makes sense for you and, as and an individual. You, Logan, I'm going to interrupt because I don't understand. What do you mean what's the best deal? Because it looks to me all you got to do is you sign on and they say, oh, you'll save 10% on your energy bill. And that's so when it's a good deal, it doesn't look like I have to pay anything. I just sign up. Yeah, so... <laughs> There will be different costs to you, potentially, as an energy consumer, depending on what your energy consumption is and what credits you might be getting from a solar garden. And so every every solar garden is financed in a different way, and that's kind of between the developer and their banker and what rates they get and what area of the state they're subscribing in, who their subscribers are. And so you just kind of have to ask those questions and get, get some answers from each individual developer. Is there a site you can go to to look and, you know, comparison shop, I guess, that would be to, to, to check that out? I'm not sure that there's one to compare, but certainly our our website, mincia.org, um, you, we have a find an installer page if you're interested. Um, specifically, you can filter it by community solar garden or residential, or if you are listening and you're a small business that wants to put solar on your rooftop, um, you can do that as well. See, I'm thinking of the ones where you don't actually install anything on your roof. You just subscribe. So those are different things. Yep, yep. That's, that's a community solar garden where you would just subscribe to it. Yep. Okay. And then the other options are you have somebody put something on your home? Yep. You can do a residential rooftop installation um, and have that on, on your home. So let's talk about those options and what should people think about when they're considering doing one or the other? 
Sure. When it comes to residential, I would definitely advise people to be um, a little bit more critical of who might be knocking on their door. You know, like every industry, um, the solar industry has certainly been impacted by what we call bad actors. Um, it's not uncommon in any industry you'll find um, people that are out there trying to take advantage of consumers. We don't see that as much in the community solar garden program. We have seen it uh, a few times over the last couple of years within the residential uh, rooftop program. And so I would just encourage people to do their research. Uh, again, our website is a good uh, resource, mincia.org, where you can find an installer. All of those installers are going to be members of ours. Our members have to uphold the code of ethics. Um, and and so we vet our members pretty well. Um, so that would be the kind of one cautionary tale I would tell people um, if they're looking at a residential rooftop installation um, that would be different from the community solar garden program. On your uh, site, it says you represent over 140 solar-related businesses. And mm -hmm. so when you talked about this rooftop install program and some problems, could you give some examples of things people might have had problems with, maybe some red flags to consider? Sure. So definitely, it, again, there's only been, I think, two or three over the last two to three years that we've had to deal with, and they're mostly out-of-state companies um, that come here and um, do door knocking. And, and that's not to say that door knocking is inherently bad. We have a number of members who use that as a marketing tool for sure. I just am encouraging people to ask more questions if that's um, what's happening. So we've seen that some of our, what we again, what we call bad actors have had residential consumers pay fully upfront for the entirety of their project and then they don't complete the project and all of the developers that we work with um, don't require that they don't ask you to pay a hundred percent of the project in advance so that would be a big red flag if that's what you are hearing from someone that might knock on your door that would be a big one to look out for what kinds of questions should a person ask when they're dealing with people that are either coming around to install or even for a community solar garden because i don't really know what the questions are to ask sure um well again i would ask for sure about you know what are the payment terms and be mindful that um you should not be paying 100 percent of your project until it's complete i think um you know it's most reasonable to pay some up front as like a deposit like anything else but um definitely don't pay 100 percent of your project until it is completed um, I would also just ask questions um, from developers, uh, you know, what kind of labor do they use? Do they have, you know, licensed electrical contractors um, and who, who they might use? A lot of people will use local contractors as well. Um, just ask these questions so you're getting to know the developer better. And, and I think it will come to light if they don't have answers to some of these things that it might sound a little bit suspicious. And when I want to consider joining a community solar garden so I can, as they say, reduce my electric bill at least 10%, what kind of questions would I ask those folks? So in Minnesota, the community solar garden program is restricted to subscribers within the same county or county that's, um, we say, contiguous or touching is another way to say it, the county of the subscribers. I think it's important whenever you're doing this to understand, you know, where is this community solar garden going to be? how many subscribers do you currently have? 
are you fully subscribed yet? Um, if they're not, it's going to take a little bit for subscribers to get those um, developed. And that's okay. I just think it's important for people to understand the timelines of, and expectations uh, when they're going to, to subscribe to Community Solar Garden. And subscribe, what does that exactly mean? Is it like a magazine where I get something each month? <laughs> um, it just means that you are reserving a space uh, to utilize some of the energy from the solar garden. Um, so if you think about it um, as 100%, let's say, you're going to reserve a certain percentage uh, from that solar garden. Because one of the things they, they say on it in, you know, these promotional packets is that, you know, we've got limited spaces for subscribers. So, you, you know, it feels mm-hmm. makes it feel more urgent. And is that the case? I mean, is it urgent? you got to do it right away. Yeah, so community solar gardens are, like they say, they're solar gardens that are subscribed to from within a community. So that means there could be your local church could be a subscriber, your local school district, schools within your area could subscribe to it. Mm -hmm. So obviously when you have um, a church or a school or a a, a local business subscribing, they're going to use slightly more power than just a, a single residential family home. So if a community solar garden uh, developer comes to you and says you should subscribe to this, um, they might already be almost fully subscribed, and it, it's probably a mix of local businesses and nonprofits, school districts, et cetera, as well as some of your neighbors. So um, I would trust them if they tell you that um, they're almost subscribed, and if you're thinking about doing it, I would you know, ask those questions. Like I said, I did just think they're um, on the Department of Commerce's website. Uh, there are 10 questions you should ask about community solar. That could be another resource for your listeners as well. Thank you. That's a good, that's a good resource. I, source. I appreciate that. And how do you know if you're better off to subscribe to a solar garden versus installing a rooftop program for your home? You know, I think I wouldn't say that either is better. I think it, it, it depends on your individual circumstance. Um, Certainly, you know, one of the points of community solar is to make going solar a little bit more affordable for people because you're kind of aggregating incomes and aggregating, you know, your personal economic situation with some of your neighbors. Whereas when you're doing a residential uh, development on your own home, that's just singularly yours and you're financing that yourself. And so a lot depends on your specific economic situation, but they're both going to provide you with solar energy and clean energy. So it also depends on your personal values, obviously. If you're looking at ways to um, reduce your carbon footprint, solar is obviously a great way to do that. And so I think it's just so, again, that's what's nice about Minnesota. There are a, couple, there are a number of options for you and you can um, go solar in whatever way works for you. So I would assume if you're a homeowner, you could install, but if you're a renter, could you do the solar garden program or is it just for homeowners? Yeah, that's one issue that we've been um, working on is how do we expand access to all solar, whether it is you know rooftop solar or a solar garden. Um, that is a limiting factor, of course, uh, is renters because they don't own the physical property that they're, they're uh, um, living in, but that doesn't mean that they can't um, go solar. There are certain uh, landowner or uh, landlords of properties, rental properties that can sign up for solar gardens um, and therefore supply their their tenants with solar. 
I'm not sure off the top of my head if you individually as a renter can do that. And I'm not, I don't think you can, your landowner would ha- or your landlord would have to be subscribing to a garden for that physical property. Um, but that is a challenge that we're working on and as an organization is increasing access to solar generally for all income groups and all socioeconomic status. So obviously renters are a huge component of that. How has the solar industry grown? Can you go back to a point where it just started and how has it been growing from whenever it started, which I don't even know when that was. Sure. We really point to 2013 as the turning point in Minnesota for solar. Uh, In 2013, we had some pretty substantial solar policy passed at the state capitol um, that created the Community Solar Garden Program um, and created other solar incentive programs as well. And that's really when we saw solar take off. So since 2013, we have built over a gigawatt of solar here in Minnesota. And again, 800 megawatts of that would have been from our Community Solar Garden Program, which is the most successful program in the country. So 2013 is when things really changed for us and when our industry really started to develop and grow. Is there anything now that's holding the growth back of solar energy? Yeah, one of the biggest things that we're experiencing right now that is really infringing on the growth of our industry is just our technology has been advancing so quickly. So 2013 wasn't that long ago, right? So And, and in that time, we've had a tremendous amount of solar growth. Our grid um, has not been set up. You know, the infrastructure that we see every day when we're driving home from work, our, our power lines, our, our um, utility poles and lights like that, that has not been updated to stay with the development of solar energy. And so one of the challenges we're seeing is just interconnection delays to the grid for solar installations, community solar and rooftop installations. You're seeing wait times of 15 to 20 years before some of these projects are being told that they can be plugged into our grid. That is a huge problem. It's going to take a lot of money uh, by our utilities and investments to make the necessary upgrades to interconnect uh, solar projects. That's a huge problem right now. Is that something you're working on with legislation? Yeah, there's multiple routes that we're going with this. The Minnesota Public Utilities Commission recently held a hearing on some of these issues, and there's been some, I think, small steps in the right direction in terms of how can we share the cost across solar users to help make these upgrades with the utility. Um, and there's some other requirements that they're going to have in terms of reporting on the cost so we can better understand what it's going to take to make these upgrades. So that's a regulatory solution. We're looking at political solutions as well. And um, I think you've seen in the news, Minnesota's facing a $7.7 billion budget surplus. Mm-hmm. And everybody has great ideas of how to use that, including Mencia. We think it would be great to use some of those resources for upgrading our grid infrastructure to accommodate cleaner energy, including solar. Um, certainly the federal infrastructure bill has some things in there that will help. So we're really kind of using all of the above strategy right now to figure out the best and quickest way that we can upgrade our grid to accommodate the increasing demand for solar. When you mentioned Minnesota has 800 megawatts of solar energy, is that, did I say that the right way? 
Yep, 800 megawatts. Yep. Okay, so... Of community solar. Community and we have oh. additional for other forms of solar. Do you have any indication of how much that is saved in terms of whether it's carbon sequestration or how it's had an impact in the, the state of Minnesota, whether it's dollars or pollution or whatever measurement that may be? Yeah, I don't have a specific measurement, monetary or otherwise, for you. Um, and I think it does get complicated. And this is where we go to our policy experts for analysis like this. But, you know, whenever you build a solar development, whether it's a community solar garden, a rooftop solar on somebody's house, or even a utility scale size, you know, 100-acre solar project, you're offsetting what would otherwise be powered by coal, Mm -hmm. um, for example, the cost element there includes more than just the levelized cost that a utility pays to produce and distribute that energy. There are benefits that come from reducing our carbon footprint, for example. Um, There's other benefits to our agricultural industry. So um, it's hard to kind of quantify into one number what that means, but there's a lot of um, analysis out there of just all the benefits of solar across the board. Where do you see the future of solar going? Is there, do you have any predictions? Yeah, well, I think, you know, we've seen so much growth here in Minnesota since I said 2013, and that's just going to continue as a matter of economics, right? We see a lot of different examples of companies going solar because it's becoming uh, Um, cheaper and cheaper every day to do it. One example that we've seen recently is Flint Hills Resources, the oil refinery in Rosemont, Minnesota, Mm -hmm. has decided to put a 30-megawatt solar project on site and use that power on site because it's an economic choice for that company. They can can generate and utilize that energy for cheaper than they're paying for it now. And so I think that everyone has seen that happen, and it's just going to be only a matter of time before solar is the economic decision that companies, communities, and individuals are making to pay less for their energy. And so we're going to continue to see solar growth. With that is going to come job growth, with solar installers being one of the top growing um, jobs in the the country and including here in Minnesota. Um, So it's going to be great for our economy here in Minnesota and great for our communities. We're talking with Logan O'Grady, the executive director of the Minnesota Solar Energy Industries Association. On your website, Logan, it says you can participate in shaping Minnesota solar policy by helping Mincia file comments to test and testify at the state legislature, write to your representatives and more. So what sorts of things are you looking to the public to help in terms of, I assume, getting more solar in the state? Sure, that's a great question. Thank you for asking it. Yeah, we are always looking for help, whether it's monetary support through new members and donations, um, or whether it's um, helping us actively in our role at the legislature. One of the most effective things that we can do to advance policies that are friendly to the solar industry is talk to your local legislator. And there's a great website. Um, You can just Google, find my legislator in Minnesota, type in your address, and you'll get all the people that represent you from the federal level down to your local state representative. And um, if you have stories about how you'd like to go solar and how you've been 
not able to because of some regulatory or policy restriction, that helps us. And you can talk to your legislature. We can set you up with that or your legislator and we can set you up with that person, share your story. Um, they're going to be a lot more responsive to their constituents uh, than they would be to a lobbyist, for example. And so um, if you are feeling like you want to get involved, that's the best way to start is by talking to your legislator. And you mentioned earlier to go to the Department of Commerce website and they have a list of questions to ask about solar, what questions you should ask about before you get a, or decide to go in into a solar garden or that sort of thing. Department of mm-hmm. Commerce, and is that, does Mincia have its own website that maybe would answer some questions too? Well, like I said, Mincia.org, we have a find the developer page, so that's going to be more helpful to people to find vetted uh, developers that are members of our organization and therefore have to uphold our code of ethics. So that's a really good resource to find a developer. I think, again, I would point to the Minnesota Department of Commerce has a list of questions that you um, might want to ask someone who you're talking to about going solar. So I'd refer people there. And for folks who are listening, MC is M-N-S-E-I-A, and it is a nonprofit organization. And you've been in existence for how long, Logan? Oh, goodness, not that long. I think uh, 20... 10 maybe was the first year uh, that Mincia was around. Um, we've been an official National SIA affiliate only for a couple of years now, um, okay. but we've been around for a little over 10 years. All right. Well, I appreciate your time. Anything else you can think of that might be useful for folks to know about Mincia or the work you do? Um, yeah, just go to our website, mincia.org, and you can see a list of kind of our policy priorities, what we're working on at the legislature, what we work on at the Public Utilities Commission. Um, take a look there. Reach out to me. My information's on the website if you have questions or uh, want to get involved. Well, I appreciate your time in helping us to understand a little more. Like I said, I have a lot of questions myself that I don't understand. So thank you so much for helping us understand this better. We've been talking with Logan O'Grady, Executive Director of the Minnesota Solar Energy Industries Association. Thank you so much. Thank you, Karen. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union with two locations in Mankato since 1934. It pays to bank where your part owner member NCUA. More at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org. RG.